Hello, welcome, welcome, and welcome to the Not For Clicks podcast. I no, no, your... no, 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 Marv, Marv, put your, put, your, put your heart in it, man. I went there to, to, to try and beat LeBron's record, but they wouldn't let me on. Women's cricket is growing at an incredible rate. Um, the men's game is probably in decline. You had your time, Jürgen, and now you do need a rest because you've become a complete and utter fool. Hello, you're listening to the Not For Clicks podcast, where there's unadulterated views, opinions, and we're not here to, to cater to the airs and graces. We're going to keep it real. I'm your host today, the upgraded host, Marvin Moses, Das Oli, Das G. We're ready to go. We're going to start with quick hits, a bit like we did last week. So, G, I'm going to start with you. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Doing good. Glad to be back. Well, I, I want to say we missed you, but I also don't want to lie. Um, G, just 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 on your just on your manager, Mr. Pochettino. Uh, I want to read a quote out to you. So, no Europe, and we had to build a team from zero. Yet the objective was to be at Wembley in February. The job is done, but now it's about winning the final. Great quote from him, G. I just wanted to get you know, as a Chelsea fan, he seems like he thinks he's doing a good job. I just wanted to see how you felt about that. He's a clown, straight clown. No, wow. <laughs> no fear about. Wow. Started. If you, you think of the first, his first interview, it's, it's gone a bit under the radar and he's getting away with it because of like Todd Bowley is a bigger clown and everything else. And no one cares about Chelsea. That's how far we've fallen. Like, no one cares to scrutinize us. But his first interview, he was talking about Chelsea are the best club in the last 15, 20 years. We have to be at the top. There's no time. You have to win. You have to win straight away. And now he's resigned to that. Not even winning the Carabao Cup, by the way. Just getting to the final was objective uh, uh, achieved. Clown. Can't wait for him to leave. It's funny, actually, because Adi was on the, par- on the pod uh, last week and he had the Carabao as a banker. Like, for him, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I, I heard it. And don't worry, Adi, I see you. I see you. <laughs> All right, Oli. On, <laughs> on to you. Because, <laughs> oh, you know he doesn't, he doesn't mess around when the confidence is oozing. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Um, Mark, I can't, I can't, before you go on, I know, I know you want to get through this quickly, but I can't believe you're letting G get away with that new background without saying anything to him. Do you know what? <laughs> it's funny because before you joined, I already grilled him and he was like, oh, I've got to let the people know what I'm about. And I'm just like, <laughs> just like he said earlier, oh, people don't care about Chelsea. So we don't care about his background either. To be honest, I wonder why he's 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 used his mum's nighty as curtains. To be honest, but that's 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 a separate thing. Oli, on to you. Yes. Transfer window, mm-hmm. deadline day. Sky put all the money behind it. Yellow. We haven't got Jim anymore, but they still do it with Carve, etc. It's been a bit of a damp squib. What's your view on that, and what's behind the fact that the Premier League teams aren't spending? Well, I think all of them are have been spooked by what's going on around the game at the moment. You've got Everton and now Nottingham Forest who are in trouble. And a lot of them can't be spending money unless they get some outgoing. So Chelsea are looking to um, get get rid of one of their homegrown players from what all the uh, speculation is. Um, so, yeah, Man United can't spend at the moment, really. Um, Newcastle can't spend for all that money that the Saudis have brought into the club. They can't spend, and they're talking about getting rid of Callum Wilson. So, for a lot of the clubs, a lot of top clubs, Arsenal as well have, have spent a lot of money over the last three or four summers, and they can't spend either. Yeah, you're spot on. And, you know, I looked at the numbers um, yesterday. 
So far, Premier League clubs have spent in the region of about 40 mil compared to 700 mil last year. So that shows how they're really locking it down. And for me, the craziness is just like, I saw Villa might have to offload Jacob Ramsey to keep on the right side of it, like proper homegrown talent. And it's just like, is FFP really working if clubs are having to offload homegrown talent to to stay on the right side? Gee, same thing with Gallagher as well. So we'll have to see... You never know. We might get a, a late night, a late transfer deadline day, Harry in the range sort of, of de- dealings, but I'm not too sure. Okay. Uh, I think you made the mistake in, in calling Gallagher a, a talent, though. That's the only thing I'd quit you on there. Oh, apart, apart, apart from that. And out of that 700 million for last year, probably like 600 million was Chelsea. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know whether it's changed over. What, you don't rate Gallagher, no? Uh, I feel like he's you, been you one of your what? best players. You, you know what? He he actually has been one of our best players, and I actually like I, I, and I like his work ethic and stuff. But when you the first thing you say about a player is you like their work ethic, you know they're not a talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's shocking because people would have said that about Kante. To be fair, let's be clear about that. Oh all no, right. no, Kante had ability. All right, let's let's move on. I'm feeling slightly nauseous with your background at the moment. Um, so <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a really really busy. Uh, five days since our last pod, seven days since our last pod. Xavi's leaving. There is no better place to start with than with darts. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. No one cares about darts anymore. <laughs> um, let's get into it, boys. Jurgen Klopp has announced that he will leave Liverpool at the end of the season, right? Big, big news. And I just wanted to get your view. Now, before we get too into it, let's just be clear. None of us are Liverpool fans, but let's keep it balanced, right? Like, let's not take away from the fact that other than Man City, Liverpool have got the most points under Klopp's stewardship. He gave them a Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, Carabao, all the other cups that G rates that I don't, that are just friendlies on the world stage. And he has the best win percentage over any Liverpool uh, manager in history. My first question goes to you, G. Was he really that good? (laughs) I, I was waiting for this because, like, as Marv's like, I'm going to keep it balanced. I'm like, you're the one that's going to keep it balanced. <laughs> well, I don't I, know, right? Like, honestly, honestly, I've seen some shocking things. I saw some guy talking about he went and picked his kid up from school early when the news dropped. I've heard tears on TalkSport. And the guy's got the same Premier League tally as Claudio Ranieri. Are we, are we, are we, are we, are we hyping it up too much? And Pellegrini and Mancini. Um, and and King Kenny as well. So like, <laughs> he's in a steam company. But no, um, I think when you look at where Liverpool were when he came, like, it's hard, it's, it's easy to forget that probably at that time, you probably thought the best that he could probably achieve was like top four regulars because Liverpool weren't even there at the time. I mean, he took them to a team that, um, you know, that was c- competitive in the league. Now, I'm not the type who gives out trophies for coming second because there's another great team in front of you. He, he, he competed well with City, but the truth is he only left with one Premier League title. So I'm not going to come here and say, I can't put him in the top three, top four because he hasn't got all the, all, all the titles. And Liverpool fans would be upset by that, but that's just the way it is. But I do think over the period that he has been here, he's been one of the top managers. Um, I think you would likely be in the top 10 of Premier League of um, Premier League managers of all time. There's an argument, some people argue that his impact makes him the greatest Liverpool manager. Um, 
up there with with Shankly just because of you know the big obviously the big wins were when um in in the 80s but actually the biggest turnaround was required in you know in Klopp's era but um I would say no because for me winning trumps everything um so but I, I think he's up there with he's definitely up there with um you know I'd, I'd say in the top 10 Premier League managers maybe more for impact and um legacy than for trophies oh top 10 is he being harsh He's been a great. He's a great manager. There's no doubt about that. Um, you can't really argue. Um, uh, yeah, and, and when you think of where Liverpool were when he came in, they were, you know, they were, they weren't even in the in the conversation, were they, for top four, let alone winning titles when he turned up at Liverpool. So yeah, he did turn it around, um, and he's made them a force, not just in this country but across Europe. And you can't take that away from him. He's been he's been great for them. Um, but thinking about where he was last season and he, I, I remember saying to someone that, you know, because now there'd been a lot of talk this week about no one saw it coming. And, you know, I'm not going to say for a moment that I saw it coming. But when you think about, I remember talking to a friend last season when he was, he was cutting a really, really grumpy figure because Liverpool were nowhere last season and Man City looked like they were going to, you know, basically give the title to Arsenal, which was a terrifying thought for me. But, um, but yeah, I just, I just got that impression watching Klopp that he must have, he looked like a manager. He looks like a person who thinks I've given my best years to try to win more titles. And every year I've been picked by City or I've had to win titles. I've had to get 99 to a hundred points as, you know, to, to, to even challenge City. And yet, Arsenal have come from nowhere and Arsenal may well, Arsenal up until the last knockings of the season were, were looking like they might do something without having to get anywhere near that total. So I got the impression with Klopp that he, you know, you can't keep that going because you need to be, We, I think we talked about it before as a group that we've, you know, said that you have to be flawless to beat City. And after a while, that kind of, that takes its toll on you. And I think that, um, you know, everything that he said, you can see why he's decided he can't do it anymore because he just feels as though he's given quite a lot and it still hasn't been enough. So I don't think that you can, I don't think you can, I think it'd be churlish to, to take away from him that he's he's been he's been great for them. When you think that they've been getting 90 points a season regularly, and challenging City, they've been City's biggest challengers. So you can't really take that away from him. But yeah, it's it's all the other stuff that that we've seen from Klopp over the last couple of seasons, where I just feel that that really does, for me anyway, as a, as someone outside looking in, it sort of takes away some of the some of the shine and some of the sheen of his kind of public persona. What is that, Aldo? What like? Give me the top two things that pisses you off about Klopp. Is it the chest beating? Is it the fake teeth? What is it? No, I just think he's just the like teeth. you know the moaning, the moaning about everything that you know doesn't go Liverpool's way. I just, I just think it's unacceptable, and he just, he just, he just gets on my nerves. To be honest with you, I can't Fair take you. him because I just feel like I just like you know if if Liverpool, you know, I saw the other day. We, you know, we lost to City the other day, and fair in, and and I, even though I have sort of their issues for me about the way we went about the the game, but Postecoglou came out 
And it wasn't any moaning. It was just like, well, you know, they were the better team. And they tried to, to you know, to reel him in with the, did you think that that goal should have been given? And he said, well, the referee gave it and we just got to accept it. Klopp would never accept that. He would be moaning. He would be saying that that was a disgrace. You know, we, we saw that Addy mentioned last week about the game at Spurs uh, early in the season. Yes, Liverpool had a bad decision to get go against them. But Klopp wanted a replay. Klopp was, <laughs> Klopp was saying, I think we should have a replay. I mean, what what level of entitlement makes you think that you can get away with that? Like, that was the first injustice we've ever seen in any football match that's ever been played in the Premier League. It was an incredible but, statement. And, you know, I just, for me, I just felt like that was like, that for me just summed up where Klopp, how, how, how far Klopp had gone. And let's not forget, let's not forget as well, the last season, he's, he's obviously got a thing about Spurs as well. He, you know, he, oh, he really. Oh, man, you think everyone's got something about Spurs. He has got something about Spurs because last season he got all upset when we had the temerity to come back from two nil, two goals down, they scored a winner in stoppage time. And then he went up to the fourth official to jump in his face and pulled his <laughs> hamstring. You remember that? <laughs> what an idiot. What an absolute idiot. I've got to say that that was one of the worst things. And the thing is, you're supposed to be setting an example and he's he's running, steaming towards the fourth official to run into his face and then pulls his hamstring. What a fool. And everyone would say that if that's your dad on the touchline and <laughs> done Hackney Marshes, you'd be saying, this is, the, this is the ugly side of football. And this guy, he's the Liverpool manager. And he's run, and people and people think that people have just glossed over this kind of stuff. I'm hearing all these eulogies about him, like he's like he's passed away or something. <laughs> the guy has been paved like an ass for quite some time, yeah. And it, you know, it's about time people actually flag this up. He's been an ass, and actually, I won't be missing him. And, and unlike some other people, I won't be missing him. I just think, yeah, you had your time, Jurgen. And now you do need a rest because you've become a complete and utter fool. Gee, oh, that, that's <laughs> the last bit. And utter fool. Gee, who replaces him? Oh, I don't know. Someone bad, hopefully. But I'm, I'm hearing a lot about um, Jabby Alonso, but I'd love it to be Steven Gerrard because like, then he'd mess it up royally, but no one would want to sack him from, from that end. So... Stephen I don't Jones think he, me, but he I think it'd be signed a lengthy deal in Qatar. He's not going in Saudi. Yeah, those, going anyway. those, those deals don't mean anything. I actually think if they get Alonso, that might be a really shrewd hire because the man, from everything I've heard, the man knows his football, right? But we'll have to see. He's actually won nothing with, with Leverkusen so far. And I know I was a, a, one of those people that insist actually win something rather than look like winning. And Spurs are testament to that. All right. So let's <laughs> let's move on to under Jurgen. We don't care. We don't care, right? Uh, let's move on to the next topic. Right, and on to our next segment. I'd like to welcome Jono. Hey, Jono, how you doing? Very well, thanks, Jens. Thanks for having me. So Jono is the host of the cricket podcast, Slogging It, and also the owner of Woodstock um, Performance Cricket Bats and Equipment Company. Uh, and Jono, we had to get you on here because there's been quite a lot of debate about cricket and the state of it in the country and globally. So just as a bit of context, I'm a, my dad is a huge cricket fan. Uh, Windy's all the way, made me watch it. I found it so boring when I was a kid, but as I, as I grew up, I started to love it. 
And then with the birth of, you know, one day T20, I really started to get into it. And we just wanted to have you on just to discuss the state of cricket, both in the UK and globally. So we'll, we'll, we'll start, we'll start with the UK. Give us, give us your view on, 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 on the growth of the sport and how, and where it's going so far. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we discussed off air, women's cricket is growing at an incredible rate. Um, the men's game is probably in decline a little bit from a, a club level. Um, there was the ICEC report came out. There was quite a damning report came out in the uh, summer, which has suggested that cricket's elitist, um, racist, um, a number of, you know, quite damning things that came out in that report. So there's a lot of people trying to do a huge amount of work behind the scenes now to try and write that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird because on the, on the face of it, cricket looks like it's in a really good place, but professional cricket has to be fed from people, you know, people lo- learning to love the game from a, from a young age. And so that's where we're actually seeing a bit of a struggle. Um, there's a, a big, um, big conversational piece around, you know, um, the the BAME communities, South Asian communities, how are we going to generate and drive more professionals from those communities into the professional game? Um, people like the ACE program do exceptional work. Lords Taverners, who I do a lot with, um, there's a Southeast, South Asian cricket uh, conference now that are doing a huge amount of great work. But I, I wouldn't say that you know, don't look at the hundred and think that that's doing well, and the basball and the test series, uh, the test team doing so well, and think that all's rosy. Um, there's a huge amount of work yet to be done to for cricket to get back into that place in probably in which it was in 2005. And on that is is when you see the viewership and what's going on, particularly on the men's game. How connected is that to how the England Test team are actually performing? Because I think the real sort of eureka moment where the country was really into it was their first ashes win after a long time that's where you know when freddie was falling out of every pub he did a bit of a he did a grealish before a grealish didn't he and (laughs) and then it kind of kicked on the state of the test team seems a bit up and down they pulled a a rabbit out of the hat with india and there was a lot of of good of good stories coming out of that but how connected to to their performance is is the general viewership um, I think the men's the men's test team are, are always going to be the focal point for English cricket fans. I think we're very much a test loving nation. I think that there's a lot of apathy towards white ball cricket. Um, it's great for for trying to bring a new audience to cricket. Hence the hundred. I've got my own issues with the hundred. I think it's an unnecessary competition. Um, but Tom Harrison, who was the ex ECB chief executive. If he made it work, he got a massive payout. So he walked away with two million in the end, <laughs> or his you know fair share of. Uh, he's a fellow taverner, so I'm not supposed to slag him off, but um, I, I really can't stand the fella because I, I think that for the time that he was in charge of the ECB, the, the national body of our sport was a bit of a stain on the game itself. Um, but I think you know now with the invention of baseball, you know, we, as you say, talk about 2005. What a series that was! The greatest ever series. Uh, we then got to number one in the world, 2009. We re, uh, we won the Ashes again at home, then beat India away in 2012, which is something that just never happens. You know, it might happen this time. I'll touch on that in a minute. Um, but I, I do think that the, the test side is very much the focal point for the majority of English cricket fans. Um, this week, we've seen two phenomenal results. I mean, you talk about the West Indies. I, well, well, Lisa, my wife, who you know very well, was pregnant. 
uh, well, seven months pregnant, I disappeared to Barbados to watch <laughs> England play in Barbados two years ago, which was just the most amazing thing. Uh, and for anybody who ever goes, manage yourself on the rum punch because I couldn't walk <laughs> for about three weeks. I got such bad gout off the back of it. Um, but Barbados, I mean, what a place uh, to, to go and watch cricket. You know, I'm lucky I've been all over the world to watch England play. Um, but, you know, the West Indies beating Australia, you had to go 1-1 in that test series. Let's not forget, Australia have never lost a day-night pink ball test match. That's how big a result this is for West Indies cricket when you consider the decline of West Indies cricket since the greats of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s sides. So I think that's a bigger result for global cricket than actually England beating India this week. Um, the whole baseball mentality that's been brought about and it's not just about going out and slogging it pardon the pun you know we we tried that against the Aussies in the summer and, and we kind of we lost the first two tests and came up a bit short so they've had to kind of rework their thinking about how they're going to go out and play but what you've if you look at it a little bit more closely like obviously we do with the cricket podcast it's very much about what does that mean to the group so you know there's a lot of players who've previously struggled to perform in an England shirt Zach Crawley's a perfect example who's now going on and absolutely thriving because the the motivation that's given to him by the uh, captain and coaching team is that, look, whatever happens, you're going to be in the side next week. And they're given an extended run um, in, in order to go out and prove and, and, and play to their ability. So uh, there's a lot of positives to be had with it. But as I say, I think the West Indies result is probably far more surprising but far better for global cricket this week than than England beating India. Do you know what? I'm actually a fan of baseball because I used to get so bored. You know, some people just didn't want to get out, right? It was just like, let me stay at the crease and frustrate the bowlers. So people actually giving it a bit a bit of welly is, is, is right up my street. There's a couple of things you said that I wanted to touch upon. Firstly, the racism. We've seen it rear its head quite a few times in the sport. And, you know, I think one of the, keep me honest here, Jono, one of the, previous owners or chairman who was found guilty of racism might be getting back into the sport. Talk, yeah. talk to us a little bit about that and, and you know, the ability to attract the, the BAME community into the sport. So, I mean, that all kicked off um, at Yorkshire. So Colin Graves, who's the ex-Yorkshire chairman, um, who was removed from post as part of that Yorkshire scandal with Azim Rafiq. Um, now, difficult and I don't want to get myself into too much trouble but there's a lot of that story that's that's yet to be heard and so you know it's not it's not quite all as one way as as it might seem to the kind of uneducated eye but there were a huge amount of problems at Yorkshire they have admitted uh, that racist things were said in Nazim Rafiq's direction um they then got rid of a lot of their ex-coaching staff ex-playing staff but um the reason why Colin Graves is is basically been able to force his way back in is that he is the club's biggest creditor. So the club actually owe him about 15 million quid. So he has now leveraged the club against that in order to say, well, if you don't reinstate me back as chairman, chief exec, I want the money back. And it will just end them. Um, and that no one's going to risk Yorkshire County Cricket Club going under. And so, you know, it's, it's almost the better the devil you know style approach to get Graves back in. So huge amount of... Um, discontent i think within the within the wider cricket community about that happening but when you find out and you think about the the, the wider implications of why it's happened it's probably a little bit more 
uh, understandable, even if it's still quite unpalatable. Ollie, let me come to you. I think you're a bit in sort of my shop of light cricket. Where, where do you where do you stand on it now? Are you enjoying it, especially with this sort of stain of the racism? Are you are you sort of keeping it at arm's length? Are you are you into it at the moment? Um, well, as Jono was saying, I think the test uh, arena is is where I'm at. Um, you know, and I think that's true for most people in this country that the test game is still a preeminent form of, of cricket. But there's so many different forms of it now that it depends on what your jumping off point is. You know, there's there's the test game, which I just think is, I still think is one of the ultimate forms of sport, really, where you, you know, you'll take, you know, over five days, you, so many different things can happen over the course mm. of five days. And especially, obviously, if you get good weather and you don't get, you know, uh, sessions rained off then you know it really is a test you know that the work you know it's the name is is it, it, there for you to tell you exactly what it is it's a test you know so you know it's kind of it, i still i still gravitate towards that but then there's the you know the t20 game which is going great guns and i wanted to ask uh jono whether he thinks that you know T20 can actually crack America because you've already got this this major league cricket that started last year and then you've got you know this year the T20s going to the US and to the West Indies as well which is massive really you know the idea of holding a holding a, a cricket uh, a world cricket tournament in the US is pretty big uh, whether they'll be able to pack the stadiums out or not I don't know I mean I, I think they'll be smaller on the smaller side these stadiums for, for the T20 but even so the fact that you can hold a tournament a cricket tournament in America is something and then obviously T20's been admitted into the Olympics I think it's for Los Angeles right so yeah. you know that's kind of these are all massive massive kind of uh, bonuses for cricket um but you kind of get that sense that you've got that form and then you've got the other form and never the twain shall meet. You know, I don't know what you think about that, Jono, whether, you know, cricket as a whole can take, um, you know, can 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 ride on this wave of, of cricket becoming popular all over the world or whether there's so much of a divide between T20 and, and the test game that actually, you know, any any advances that T20 makes doesn't really help the test game you know, move forward. I don't know what you think. I think the, look, it, it, completely honestly, anywhere that where cricket takes off in a new environment, let's call it, is driven by the expat South Asian community. So we actually sell loads of cricket bats and equipment into the US. So there's a huge cricket scene on the East Coast, as there is on the West Coast. Uh, they've built some new stadia for the, uh, for the, uh, for the, work, for the, um, the World Cup. Um, and, it, and it's great. You know, and it's great that more people are playing. You know, the I once played against the Swedish national team and the Nor Norwegian national team, and they were all to a man expat South Asians uh, who who'd moved and and what have you, uh, and become patriated and, and what have you, and so they had the right to play for them. And and it's great that cricket that these countries who wouldn't necessarily have been exposed to cricket previously now have got a thriving cricket scene. You know, in in some of the most random places. <laughs> um, you know, like Uganda, one have just qualified for the uh, the next World T Twenty. I mean, who would have thought that was ever going to happen? I think they beat Zimbabwe, uh, which is nuts considering Zimbabwe are a previous Test playing nation. So, um, but on the subject of T Twenty, 
there is, you know, I'm lucky to have exposure to a lot of professional cricketers, international cricketers, and they're knackered. Like there is too much cricket in the calendar, and they, you know, they're being expected to jump from T20 to 50 over cricket to Test match cricket to 100, back to T20, back to you know, championship games and four days, five day games, and and it's it's incredibly difficult not only on your fitness but your technique as well because you're expected to play in completely different ways. I know baseball is very much about progressing the game as quickly as you can, and that's why England have been so successful over the last two years. Um, but the way T Twenty will take over the world, but the problem is it will be owned by the Indians. So you've now got the SA20 that's currently being played. All of those six franchises are owned by IPL franchises. Eventually, you, so you've got the CPL, which you guys, the Caribbean Premier League, which you guys will be familiar with. Um, that eventually, we predict, will end um, because it will somehow become or it will combine with this Major League cricket. So the, we expect the, the US uh, tournament and the Caribbean Premier League to become one. Uh, because they're actually, when you look at the is calendar, there's a big enough market there, though, Jono, in America. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a it's a more clued up version of baseball cricket, isn't it? With a, a lot more skill required, um, <laughs> you know. And I'm sure even a few, I'm sure a few Americans might be able to get their heads around it. And the beauty about American sport is it's all about selling commercial time, right? So they could they'll have it. You know, bowlers will be waiting at the top of the mark for a 30-second ad to play before they can bowl the next ball. So, you know, it kind of fits the American model of what they're about commercially. Um, whether they can concentrate for the, the length of a test match, I, I, I very much kind of doubt that. But I, I think love that... this. You're making... Any US fans, Jono doesn't care, to be honest, if you, <laughs> yeah, if you, not... if you feel yeah. insulted. But actually, <laughs> just on that note, gee, let me come to you a little bit. Because I remember you used to play a bit of cricket back in school, didn't you? Is this yeah, another... Is this another? Yeah, I remember. Is this another sport that you think if you tried, you would just you'd, you'd be up there with the greats? You know, I, I tell you the story of me playing cricket. What happened is, is one of the cricket guys from like the English cricket board came in and did a training session for us, which was like a trial for us to play in the cricket team. And I don't think we'd had a cricket team before. And like we did the trial with tennis balls, and I was knocking the ball for six all over the place. Came with a hardball, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so I got picked for one game, I've never got picked again. But that's always been my claim to fame that I've been in the house in my school cricket team. Gee, <laughs> I'm waiting to see. We need to get to a sport which you don't think you can do. Because at the moment, it's, it's, it's all very easy. But we'll, we'll come on to that a little well, bit later. Well, Jono, I, 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 can, I can ask, because Jono mentioned about the players being exhausted. And I've just come back from America and seen, like, the basketball guys play three games a week. Like, what? I want to say this with respect to the cricket players. Most of the time, they're sitting up in the in the, uh, in the over up in a cup of tea. Like, how can they be exhausted? Give <laughs> <laughs> me exhausted, but, but explain it to like those who don't who don't know what, what it's, what's so physically grueling. It's more it's more the bowlers. I, I think batters have got a real mental. Um, there's a lot of mental fragility. Not fragility. You need to be very mentally strong. But I think to be you know, if you've got someone who's letting go of a five and three quarter ounce ball that's rock hard at 90 plus miles an hour and you've got about 0 0.4, 0 0.5 seconds to react to it, um, which can, you know, seriously hurt you if you're not on top of your game, then, you know, that does take quite a lot out of you. But it's the bowlers. So you look at, you know, a lot of English seamers, a lot of stress fractures at the back. You know, we've got a huge amount of problems with our bowling ranks. Look at Joffre Archer. You know, that his injury, you know, 
more through mismanagement from the ECB perspective, in my uh, opinion. But, you know, it's more the bowlers that struggle with the turnaround of games because they are putting... So every time you land when you're bowling, you put seven times your body weight through your knee and ankle. So um, at at my weight, now I'm 41, that's that's a fair bit of weight going through my knee and ankle, I can tell you. Um, But... um, yeah, I think it's it's more from a bowling perspective, and squads aren't massive, so you you couldn't you, you can't have that kind of quick turnaround of games, uh, rather than running around on a you know twenty by ten court with a orange pig's bladder thrown at a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jono's worse than me. Well, listen, Jono, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, just go and give give me a final plug. So, in terms of your pod, where can people find it? And then tell us about about Woodstock. Oh, crikey. Um, the slogan it pod says cricket and mental health, basically. We do it all in support of the Lord's Taverners, uh, who do a load of amazing work in the community um, for disadvantaged and disabled kids. So any money we raised, we walked between all the Ashes grounds last year and raised 50 grand for them, which was amazing. Uh, but also like to concentrate on mental health um, and just try and help people, you know, through shared experience. And when we interview people, we, are, we try and cover different topics so, you know, if people feel like they can relate to something that someone discusses and talks about that can then help them off the back of it. We don't we don't need to get any um, kind of visibility of that, but if we, we know we've helped people and, that, and that's the reason for doing it. Um, Woodstockcricket.co.uk, check us out. Um, it, it'd be great. We're the most awarded back company in the UK over the last 20 years. Um so yeah, it's it's great, but no, boys, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And if you can do one thing for me for cricket, we need to start some kind of movement where we can get cricket back on the uh, school curriculum. So cricket is not played enough in the outside of the independent school st- uh, system. So these lads who go to public school, fine, you know, paying thirty grand a year or whatever, and they can have all the coaching they want. You know, the the reason that there aren't enough people from the BAME community, the South Asian community, playing cricket at the professional level is that they're not as exposed to it as they need to be at a young age in the state school sector so um my one dream is to come up with something that somehow convinces government to to change that and then that is what will um make cricket a much a a much more successful sport than it probably currently is okay thanks for that john i really appreciate you coming on sir cheers boys been a pleasure thank you very much take care right so Beyond that, Mr. Gabriel, back from your travels, tell us about the U- the great USA and, and, and what you did while you were there. Now, I just want to caveat this before you give us your little spiel about what you did. And and, and I, I want you to contextualise it with, did the sports look as hard as, 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 as you think they did? And just tell us what you did while you were over there. Well, my initial plan was to try to um, squeeze in the playoff game um, in the NFL, but the Cowboys cowboyed. Um, I was in Dallas and they went out, so couldn't catch that. So I went to watch um, basketball and um, could I do it? Yeah, sure. Probably not to a high level, but could I do it? <laughs> could I do it? But no, it honestly, um, basketball was cool. The atmosphere was, I, I have to say, I mean, Oli once, I think it was in our group chat, Oli described it as men's net, netball, which I found hilarious. But it was far from that. It was crazy aggressive. Like there was like fouls every couple of minutes. So in, in that sense, it was good. But I didn't feel like the crowds in basketball were as like as partisan as, as I was expecting. But I also one of my work colleagues recommended that I go to hockey, and hockey was hockey was electric. Like 
crowds are up on their, their feet and people weren't scoring every two minutes like they did in basketball. So when someone actually scores, it actually meant something. And every time someone scored, there was like this, you know, like this, um, almost like a fireworks fan flare display. It was, it was awesome. So I would say, I mean, I know basketball is a lot more popular than hockey, but if you get a chance, go see a hockey game. Like the crowds are electric, the game, the game's good. It was good fun. Gee, I mean, let's not like let you get off the hook too much on this, right? Because <laughs> our first ever pod, you said basketball was a piece of piss. You could do it in your sleep. You've got no interest in watching it. Whoa, you've got whoa, no, whoa, you've whoa, got whoa. no interest. It's like people are scoring every 10 seconds, but the minute your feet touched US Earth, <laughs> you couldn't wait to scuttle over to a game, right? And now it's like, oh, actually, you know, it's about different. Like the shamelessness knows no bounds. Listen, I went there to, to, to try and beat LeBron's record, but they wouldn't let me on. So in the end, I just watched. <clears throat> and it was, it, was a, it was a decent watch. It was a decent watch. I can't lie. And, and as much as like, there's been banter and stuff, but I do, res- I want to be clear. I don't put basketball in the same category as I put darts. Darts is just a game. Basketball is a sport. I just can't enjoy a sport where they score every second. Like, it's like by the time you get out of your seat to celebrate, this, the other team scored already. Like it just doesn't really work for me. But apart from that, basketball is good. It's good fun. Were there any fights in the ice hockey? Because I remember when I had NHL on the on the PlayStation One. That shows how long ago it was. And you can actually yeah. like you get energy bars in the top, and people actually just scrap it out. Yeah, yeah. There, 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 there was one fight. I was a little, little bit disappointed with that because I thought I'd get at least one one fight for quarterback. There was just there was just one fight. But but yeah, no, it was like. It was great. The 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 fans were really up for it. It was almost like it was like going to a football match, but without some of the the rubbish that you get from football fans, like the the abusive stuff. You know what I mean? Like if people were really really behind their team. So yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it. All right, on to our next topic. For those of you that's been tuning in for the last three weeks, you know we try and review a a pod, a documentary, or a, or a book. We're clearly educated people because this is our third TV show. We really need to get some books or something else on it. But uh, this week we watch uh, Captains of the World on Netflix, uh, following some of, well, following all of the captains that took part in the World Cup. We watched the first episode and I think we decided we'd see how good episode one was before we decided whether we'd commit. Ollie, what did you think of the show? Um, Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was... um... Very glossy, put together well, and um, you know it's kind of. Uh, I, I I watched the series before Captains, which was just called Captains, which was uh, followed uh, followed the Captains during the qualifying phase, and um, I kind of feel like that was a bit better than this one, just because they were kind of going deep into. Uh, countries about their culture and the politics there, like Lebanon and things like that, and it's really interesting actually to, uh, you know, that they actually they they were kind of focusing a bit more on on the kind of backstory of a lot of these these countries um, who were competing. So you know, you had uh, in that one, I think it was who is it, Modric, had Modric, Ab- Abamyang for Gabon and. Um, and Thiago Silva, who's actually in captain of the world as well, and uh, Andre Blake from Jamaica, and a couple of others, Vaniatu and, uh, say, Lebanon. But, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that one. I thought that one was a bit better just because they 
Um, I mean, I haven't seen the whole series of, of this Captains of the World, so I'll, I'll see what the rest is like. But what I, what I did like about Captains of the World is, that, you know, they did do a bit of kind of backstory. I like the way that they went back and looked at the whales, um, you know, um, kind of uh, history and how they'd kind of uh, taken so long to, to, to qualify for a World Cup and the whole story around Gary Speed and how he kind of um, changed the whole kind of mindset around the Welsh football team. Um, and obviously the story of Messi. The only thing I would say is it's kind of, it's kind of all your big names, all your kind of, all those people that you'd expect to hear about are in this documentary. So it's Messi and it's Ronaldo and it's Kane and it's Mbappe, and all of those guys. You're not, you know, you're not going to learn much more than you than than what you what you knew going into it. Really, it's a lot. There's a lot of kind of. Um, you know, empty statements being made in the in the interviews that they've um, that they've done. Um, but that said, it's still kind of interesting. There's still a lot of kind of uh, behind the scenes stuff that was good. Um, and yeah, it worked for me. I you know definitely keep watching it and see how it develops over the over the next few episodes. Yeah, I agree with you, um, particularly on the Wells thing because a bit like what you said like you forget how far wells were before gary speed took over he really did try and get people back involved i thought the tiago silver thing was quite interesting as well because i i think i'd forgot about the tb and him being you know in a country by himself and even the fact he got a bit spiky with the way the question was asked um about whether brazil could do it i thought i i, I agree i thought it was glossy but I actually really enjoyed it. And I think part of that was nostalgia because despite all the hoo-ha about the World Cup being moved and Qatar, I actually really enjoyed the tournament overall, like especially when it got to the business end of the season. So I think they put it together well. I quite liked how they they did Messi and Ronaldo. And I think that thing will probably continue. But you say it's the who's who. I, I could walk past the US captain and not, who the, the, not know who the hell he was, right? Oh, like, poor, poor Tyler. He, he, was, <laughs> he, he was more commenting on the greats knowing that he wasn't a great, right? But um, but yeah, I think it, it was put together well. G, what was your view? Yeah, I, for me, it felt... The fir- first half of the show kind of felt... I think the phrase you like to use is powder puff or... That, it was very kind of surface level, quite quite basic, going around different teams. I think it was the second part with the Thiago Silva, particularly the, the Gary Speed thing, which which um, really resonated with me. Um, I think if I would just watch, if I just watched like the first twenty minutes and I switched off, I probably wouldn't have gone back. But I def, I definitely will go back now um, off off what happened towards the end because I, I did feel it got a little bit more into detail. My fear for it is that. I I think kind of leaning into what Ollie said, I'm worried that it might just end up being certain people and characters um, who they kind of focus on, who we probably know a lot about already. And it would be nice that if if they were to get into, you know, captains of maybe countries that we didn't know about. Because um, I guess it maybe on a global scale, people might not know that world story, but we all kind of knew it. It tugged on the heartstrings a little bit, especially with the news reporter when, he was kind of talking back and 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 he he broke down in in that sense so it it was like you know a little bit of nostalgia memories for us but if i i want i would like to find out things about 
other countries that maybe I don't know so much about rather than it just be about the faces that, um, you know, that I see every week on Sky Sports News. Do you know what? It's so interesting you should say that, right? Because one of the things that I found really unique about the show was when they went into the Saudi dressing room, when they were playing Argentina and seeing their manager trying to coach them. And he was like, it's, he's just a man. Like, don't give him space. Like, you're giving him too much respect. And I was thinking to myself, like, if you really think about it, if you're a, 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 in the Saudi Arabia team and you're, you're trying to defend against someone that you only could dream of that you'd be playing against, it must be quite hard to get them to lock, it, lock in. And the fact they went out second half and got a win those are the little nuggets that are quite enjoying so yeah yeah okay oh i'm not gonna do all the spiel that jordan did about ratings just give me a rate give me a rating out of five like what what what, what would you give it is it clickable is it ditchable um yeah i'll give it uh to begin with i mean i've only as i say i've only seen episode one i'll give it a three for now but it but that could change if i watch the whole series as it as it all progresses um I mean, I just felt like it was quite montagey as well. It was very much kind of, you know, you're watching a lot of the big moments of the games and, yeah, you got into the dressing rooms, but there wasn't much in terms of, like, real meat and kind of stories of people, you know. There was a lot around Messi and this is his last World Cup and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I kind of, I kind of want to see a bit more than that. But yeah, it might develop into something else. But for now, I'll give it. I'll give it a three. It's a decent start. G. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it a three too. Um, it was three clicks. It was skirting towards a, t a two slash two and a half. But um, yeah, I brought it back towards the end. So three clicks, and I'll, I'll continue to watch it. Yeah, I'll give it a three as well. I, I I enjoyed it, but to be honest, I'm a sucker for a football doc, so I'm I'm an easy audience. So. You've heard it here from us, three out of five. I guess what we need to do is commit to to watching it and we'll circle back in a few weeks once everyone's had a time to watch the full season or whether everyone sticks with it for the full season. But so far, three out of five. Right, last but by no means least, it's time for this. What you talking about, Willis? And uh, boy, this kills me to say it. The Willis of the week. It kills me to give this person the thing, but you... The, the the beauty of social media is it's really hard to lie and it's really hard to escape the truth. I do wonder if teachers just watch Snapchat to see if why kids aren't at school. But unfortunately, this week, we're going to have to give the Willis of the week to no, no other person than Marcus Rashford. So for those of you that don't know, Marcus Rashford seemed to think that it was a smart idea. I think Jono said Northern Ireland, but I thought he was in Wales, but he was in a club. Uh, Thursday night I don't know if it was a paid appearance uh, but he was out on the lash and as a result he called in sick for training Manchester United training on Friday uh, as a result he was left out of the squad that went up and, and, and faced Newport I think let me be clear I'm a Marcus Rashford fan right but it's just littered with problems A he's had a terrible season he, he he does reek of that player that might be who gave it a big and for to get that payout and now the, the the money's secured he's he's not giving us his best b he gave the celebration in the club he did the forehead point in a club right and c what a bet there's no better opportunity to stat pad 
than an away day at League Two opposition in the FA Cup. It's just littered with issues. I'm really disappointed in you, Marcus. I'm calling you by your first name. But it was you have to get the Willis of the week, right? To call in sick when you're well photographed. Um, but I'm still going to use this opportunity to take a, take a take a shot at Ten Hag because he's been grilled and asked several questions about what's gone on with Rashford, and consistently he gave us internal matter, internal matter, which is exactly what he should have done with Jaden Sancho uh, instead of just throwing him to the throwing him to the wolves. So. At least he's learning, but uh, Marcus Rashford, you are the Willis of the week. Do, do, do either of you disagree with that? Can you tell me what is going on with Rashford? Do you know what it is, Oh, I'm still defending him to many of the Manchester United fans that are, are done with him. But for me, it, it, it just doesn't look like he's as interested. There is, like, there is no commitment. And I think part of the problem is that we lauded him with such praise both on and off the pitch, particularly me. Like I generally think if it wasn't for Rashford last season, Ten Hag wouldn't be here this season, right? He probably did about 40, 50% of all goals. But with a team playing so badly, scoring such few goals, and to have a player on rumoured to be £325,000 a week, homegrown talent who's just not committed to the shirt at the moment and not, going the extra mile, not doing the extra work. It's it, it's not looking good for him. I'm now slowly turning to, if a bid big enough, A, why would you bid for him now? I've got no idea. But if one did come in, I'd be the first to, to say, if it's big enough, it's probably time to move him on. Wow. Yeah, I know. That. I can't believe I'm saying it. Simple as that. Right. Well, that sums it up for the week. Hopefully, you know. Jordan, unfortunately, will be back with us next week. You've enjoyed the you've <laughs> you've enjoyed the pod, and thanks for joining us.